in my personal history, the times that partners have been the most upset is when a relationship gets more serious. Exactly. So I thought for sure, like, well, no one's going to get upset about casual sex, you know, because most people are like, oh, as long as it's casual, it's fine. But then it was totally flipped in this situation. And now, you know, now I've learned that, like, I always have that conversation with people that, like, no, I don't tend to have a lot of casual sex, but sometimes I do. Yeah, you and know? that needs to be okay. And that needs to be okay. Totally. Yeah. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about how to be open, honest, and unafraid when talking to other people about your relationships, whether they are someone you're dating, a new acquaintance, or an old friend. A little something we like to call being unapologetic. Oh, yeah. I guess I gotta stop resisting that term. No, it's here to stay. Now it's it's a thing that we have to use. So (laughs) we even have stickers that say unapologetic on it TM, 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 TM. Yep. (laughs) So what does it mean to be unapologetic? Well, before that, can we set the scene a little bit of of where we are and what's happening right now? What is happening right now? Well, right now we are about at the halfway point on our second national tour mm-hmm. which is super exciting and right now we're in dallas and uh in a nice little cozy little bungalow mm-hmm. yep in a little yeah. airbnb and there's a thunderstorm going outside so if you hear any thunder in the background don't be alarmed thunder feel the thunder that song do you know <laughs> it no no i don't know what are All you right. ref- referencing uh, damn it i forget their name well that's <laughs> but Jeez. it's a song and it's about thunder anyone who remembers <laughs> anyone who remembers it's like a big top 40 right now i think so oh really okay yeah, yeah. so um just know that multi-amory never stops working even yes. on tour in between oh, shows yeah. here we are recording yet another podcast because this is our life yeah i feel like on this tour in several cities people have been like so what what's Stuff have you gotten up to in our city today? And we're uh, like, well, nothing. not a not a lot. We sat in our Airbnb and planned Works. another episode, <laughs> <and> recorded, <laughs> yeah. or planned our talk. For... This trip is not for fun. It's for yeah. business. Yep. Exactly. But here we are recording this uh, fun episode, which is one we've been meaning to record for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is exciting to get to this. So back to it. Yeah. What does unapologetic mean? Um, all right. So essentially. Being unapologetic is, you know, being unapologetic about the life that you live. And what that means more specifically is living a life that is as coherent or as congruent as possible. And what congruent means is a favorite word of mine. It essentially means just that your actions line up with your words, mm-hmm. right? That, that, uh, and also in different Diff, like in each communication you have with different people, that those things also line up. It's just kind of about everything being in congruence with each other, right? It's kind of like yeah. your inner life matches your outer life as right. much as possible. As much as possible, yeah. Um, and also, it means not needing to feel like you have to lie or omit or even just conceal or dance around the truth of who you are and what you're doing mm-hmm. um, in your relationships and in your life. And 
kind of, I think, taking ownership of it in a way. Mm, yeah, um, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, in, instead of just saying like, oh, well, you know, I, I do something and it's a little bit different than what you do or whatever. Instead, like really talking about it and owning it and being proud of what who you are and what you're all about. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a part of this very big philosophical topic, um, mm-hmm. I feel like a part of it is also knowing how to take care of yourself even and to still feel okay even in the face of rejection from mm-hmm. people, even in the face of pushback from people. Um, yeah. I, the more we describe it, the more I feel like this doesn't just apply to if you're, you, you know, if you identify as polyamorous, this can apply to any kind of identity that you hold that maybe goes against the grain a little bit. But of course, on this episode, we're going to be focusing specifically on non-traditional relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever that is, whether that's polyamorous or just, I mean, I feel like you're right, though. This really applies to anything. Yeah. Even if you're approaching all of your relationships as monogamous relationships, that there's still this, the way that you do relationships and the value you have in how you conduct those relationships, that's all part of the same thing. Yeah, anything that's not the societal social norm could still be scary to put out there to the masses. Well, because the big myth is that there is a societal norm. Mm -hmm. You know, we we talk about it a lot. And while, yes, there's certain structures like sexual exclusivity and, you know, the all relationships should be trying to lead toward marriage. Like, sure, those are societal norms. But mm-hmm. in terms of how you actually do that, like what communication looks like in your relationships, what counts as exclusive or not, what's cheating or what's not, like that's something that often we assume, oh, everyone must have the same idea about this. But when you actually start to talk about it, you realize you don't. Yeah. And so being unapologetic or in that case unapologetically monogamous Mm -hmm. right is that is really owning those things and having those real conversations about what that means for you and part of that like Dedeker was saying is knowing how to be true to those things even if it might not always be received the best way right Right? Right. someone might say "Mm, I disagree with that and I don't want to associate with the likes of you is be gone how to (laughs) (laughs) Apparently <laughs> we've all traveled to <laughs> Middle England. Uh, but, Wait, mi- Middle England? Yeah. Like Middle, middle Aged ages. England? Yeah. Like Middle Earth? Ooh, or yeah. Middle Earth. Middle Earth, yeah. Either one. Maybe yeah. they would do that there. So, yeah. okay, why are we talking about this? I mean, as so many people have said to me, like, well, why are you talking about something that's in the bedroom or that's whatever? Like, why are you making it my business? Right. Well... Again, if we're just going to focus on non-traditional relationships, we can talk about what the current status quo is right now. So non-monogamous relationships or non-traditional relationships are surprisingly pretty prevalent, depending on what study you look at. Some studies say that um, you know at least 20% of the population has experienced some kind of consensual slash ethical non-monogamous relationship mm-hmm. in their lifetime. There's other studies that say like right now, currently probably about 5% of the population is in some kind of non-monogamous relationship. And those seem like maybe relatively small percentages, but it's a big chunk of people, yeah. you know? Right. That's like, this many, is many millions people. of people in the yeah, United States totally. alone. Yeah. And however, and again, just to put that in perspective, if 20% of the population has experienced a non-monogamous relationship and 5% is currently in one, 
Um, right now, at least in America, only 6% of the population is vegan. And I guess, depending on where you live, it may feel yeah, like... I am the 6%. You're oh, part of the 6%. Yeah, right. yeah. Yes, I am. Depending on where you live, you may feel like, yeah, 6%, that feels rare. Or you may be like, it feels like there's freaking vegans everywhere. <laughs> Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, however, even though it's a relatively prevalent thing, of course, there's still a lot of blowback, a lot of stigma, a lot of consequences for people who are in non-traditional relationships, and that manifests in all kinds of different ways, whether it's like the stuff that we talked about with Eli Chef about people having to handle custody battles for their children about, you know, their polyamorous identity being used against them in a court case, um, a lack of workplace protections like we were talking about with Jonathan Lane, um, mm-hmm. and of course, general negative perception. I think, you know, any of us who have either dabbled or fully identify as someone who thrives in non-monogamous relationship, everyone has a story of the negative reactions that they've gotten from someone, whether oh, yeah. it's a friend or a family member or a potential partner or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um And I I forget if we've mentioned this on the podcast before or not, but there was a study at the University of Michigan where they found that the negative perception of polyamorous relationships doesn't just affect how much a random person maybe thinks that they're less moral or less romantic or less stable, but it also bleeds into other more arbitrary categories, as in people perceive that a person who is non-monogamous is less likely to floss their teeth. Oh, we talked about the teeth flossing one. Or right. that they're less reliable in walking their dog or less likely to get their taxes done on time. Just simply because they're non-monogamous. Yeah, because I think it's, you know, the attachment is like, oh, this person has a normative values or this person isn't running their life correctly or this person is maybe just an unethical person. And so that must mean that they're quote less unquote responsible. Like, less responsible or quote yeah. unquote a bad person in other areas of life as well. Mm-hmm. And it's that they're less likely to do these things uh, than a person who's monogamous. Than a person who's monogamous. Okay. Exactly. Okay. That that you know that people perceived that someone who's in a monogamous relationship was just like more morally upright and reliable and responsible. Yeah. And the same thing holds true for people who are single versus married. That people find married people to be far more like trustworthy and kind even and understanding of others Mm -hmm. than those who are single. And again, this is is just perception. This is not like, you know, pretty much every study of either polyamorous versus monogamous people or single people versus married people find that people have a pretty similar like life satisfaction and relationship satisfaction level. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just that the perception is very different. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of like general fear and misunderstanding that comes along with non-traditional relationships. And most of it is just because of a lack of education um, and and awareness and then a a lack of a personal contact point for someone who's in a non-traditional relationship. I'd say, yeah, I mean, before I became non-monogamous, I really had no idea that it was a thing. I definitely thought about it. And I was like, I don't know, do we all have to be monogamous people? But I I didn't have a word for it. And I still think as much as it's like steeped into our lives, there's still a lot of people who have no idea what it is. Definitely. And then therefore, when they do come across it, there's a lot of fear involved with that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, anytime something's new and unknown, it is scarier. And that's unfortunate and causes a lot of problems in the world. But it is but it is true. Uh, For example, Uh, You know, as more of the positive side of that is there was a Gallup poll uh, that was done a little while ago that basically showed that if you personally know someone who's gay, that will affect your views about gay issues like gay marriage or other gay rights uh, in a positive way. 
just simply knowing somebody. They don't even have to be a friend, really, but right. just even mm-hmm. an acquaintance. Just knowing someone because it makes it human. It makes exactly. it like... Exactly. It puts a face to this like amorphous concept. Mm-hmm. Right. And there have been uh, similar studies, actually, about uh, trans issues as well, that even knowing someone who knows someone personally hmm. will make you more likely to... Uh, See it as a... Yeah, to vote more favorably hmm. on trans issues. Hmm. So... Uh, this is essentially just that, like that higher visibility for same-sex relationships leads to lower disapproval and higher acceptance. Uh, and that for polyamorous people, I believe that this would be the same thing. There haven't mm-hmm. been these same studies done, but it seems like a pretty obvious correlation there that, right. that this would be a similar type of thing. Right. That just simply being aware and like knowing about it rather than people kind of hiding behind pseudonyms or being sort of dodgy about it or accepting the idea that this is something you should only talk about in the bedroom mm-hmm. right that's like why are you talking about this thing because this is a bedroom issue mm-hmm. and i just want to be like cool like you're wearing your wedding ring right now gross <laughs> like, <laughs> i didn't want to know that you're having sex like, yeah right like how absurd tell us is these that? personal problems <laughs> yeah I'm- yeah display it to the world but i think that's that is also like and people misconstrue that it is just a bedroom thing that it's just a sex thing as opposed to it being a way of life and about relationships Mm -hmm. and about like emotional connections with other humans not just one Yeah. yeah so if we're looking at the big picture ultimately i think why it's important to talk about this and i think why it's important to be unapologetic (laughs) is that phenomenon is that higher visibility does lead to more acceptance and less disapproval for everyone and so of course this could be on the macro level of being unapologetic like to the entire world or like on a podcast for instance (laughs) or it could be just on the micro level of being open and out and unapologetic with yourself and with the people closest to you because we're not here to necessarily tell you like you have to go start a podcast of your own and start talking to everybody about your life and your relationships. Um, Like you're going to have to figure out the right level for you. That's the safest and the best for your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways of doing that is to look internally. Um, I think that's sort of the first pillar of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. I, and so when you do first become polyamorous, it is really important to look inward and really become aware of your own internal biases surrounding non-monogamy and relationships in general. Um, so something that I had, and I'm, I'm sure that all of us had, was internalized poly guilt um, mm. just yeah. immediately. And so that kind of looks like just being... feeling guilty about the fact that we are told sort of you're having your cake and eating it too. And that's not okay in a way, instead of being like, well, you know, I should be okay with one person. I should be okay with what the societal norm tells us is what we need to be doing at all times. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that that just takes a lot of years of deprogramming in a way to really get comfortable with it. Yeah. I think for me, the biggest thing was, learning to deprogram I guess how sex negative I was oh yeah ditto Mm -hmm. you know about all of the messages that I received both in my childhood like in my formative years about what I should or shouldn't want sexually as a woman for Mm -hmm. instance and then on top of it in my adult years as well dating people and as I was kind of trying to find my identity find what it is that I want in relationships also butting up against dating partners telling me you know that I shouldn't want 
to have multiple partners or yeah. I shouldn't want a particular type of sex or a particular frequency of sex or Did sex with a particular get, person. Like that you shouldn't want sex at all? Oh, also. yeah. Hell like even oh, from, yeah. from partners, just the idea that you would like be the one to to initiate sex would be something negative about you. I had a partner tell me like, oh, you've slept with three people. Like that's a ton. That's really <laughs> promiscuous, mm-hmm. which was fucked up. Yeah, yeah, seriously. That is fucked up. I don't know. No, I think with any partners I've had in the past, like it's okay for me to want sex if it's with them right, all the time. Right. But like the only time I've ever been accused of like wanting too much sex has been if it's like I want sex with someone else as well. Mm. Actually, you know what? That's not true. Like, I've definitely been accused of like being greedy for wanting certain things sexually, huh. like uh, more than one orgasm or something like that. Geez. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Like, wow. And I'm like, Jeez. it's not like it's hard. Like, it's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, for some people it is. Even for I know for yeah. some people it is. Yes, but, but no, I hear you. Wow. Yeah, but just so yeah, I mean, it comes at us not just in our upbringing, but also like you were saying in our in our relationships for yeah. sure. Yeah. That, and I think that even for people who decide to be non-monogamous, those those stigmas of like that non-monogamous people are less responsible or they're less likely to be contributing members of society or, or things just like they're that. selfish. Yeah, selfish. Exactly. Yeah. Like that one I've heard so, so many times. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely gotten that, the selfish one, or at least be questioned about that by new partners that I've dated mm. since being polyamorous who themselves were sort of like, well, I'm interested to, to try it. I'm not sure. I'm interested in you, though, that that is one that comes up. It's like, don't you feel like you're being selfish sometimes? And you're um, like, no. Well, it's, I mean, my my answer in that case was just sort of like, well, what's selfish about it exactly? Yeah. It seems like if anything, it like to say, I get this person and no one else can have them seems like the selfish selfish. thing. If you're thinking about it in, you know, as an analogy to like a cake or a toy or something that I'm the only one who can play with this toy versus anyone else can play with this toy as well if the toy wants to. Uh, My metaphor's gotten away with that. Yeah, that's tough. I know, for sure. (laughs) Okay, but I think the main takeaway here is, is I think just the fact that no matter how confident you feel in your identity and in your choices like you're still constantly steeped in a lot of messages mm-hmm. all from all around you of people people and tv and media and everything trying to tell you like what you want is not correct yeah mm-hmm. and re- again regardless of how confident you are it takes energy to just be able to like live with that yeah and deal with that and on deal a daily with that basis. on a daily basis yep. yeah and then there's also our fear of rejection, which mm-hmm. I think Gosh, is yes. huge. And and it's not just like being rejected by our friends and family because we are polyamorous or we're deciding to do this thing that's very different from what other people are doing. But it's also that rejection when meeting new people, when trying to go out there and date mm-hmm. and just saying to them like, hey, this is who I am. And having that possibility that they're not going to want to be with you because of it. Right. That's such a huge one. I know I struggled with that for years, like so many years that I spent dating and knowing that like non-monogamy is something that I want, but I'm so scared of the idea that I would go on a first date and this person would reject me Mm -hmm. because I said that. And so I try to find all these like shady ways of like talking around it or Mm -hmm. like really postponing how long I'd wait before I brought it up because I'm just like, I want like the most important thing is I need this person to like me first. They need to like me first. They need to like me first. And then I can pitch them on this. And it took me years until I realized like, no, if this person's going to like me, like that's a part of me too, that they have to like. If they don't like that part, then they just don't like me. And I, 
I have to get over mm-hmm. the fear of someone not liking me. Yeah. Yeah, and that that relates to our next point here, which is to find ways to empower yourself through those difficult times of being polyamorous. And, you know, basically, how do you connect to your sense of self-worth and your self-esteem to the point where you can handle those types of rejections Mm. and to, to have conviction about what you're doing so that you can, like, with confidence, say exactly what Dedeker was saying of, like, well, if someone doesn't want to be with me because of this, like, that is part of me. So that just means they don't want to be with me. Yeah. And that that's okay. And I would rather have them know that sooner than later or to try to kind right. of manipulate them into liking me later by getting them attached to me first or mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. Yeah, like attached to what's ultimately an incorrect version of me, which I think people don't realize. Well, because I think it's tied to a lack of self-worth. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you feel like, well, no one could really like all of me. So I've got to find this way to kind of lure them in first before they have to deal with the shitty side of me, which is being polyamorous. God knows I've struggled with that. Yeah. Just with that bare belief of like, if someone really knew all of me, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't like me. They wouldn't want to date me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know for me, this does, this goes beyond just like pitching it to new partners for the first time or like Mm -hmm. talking to someone on a dating app and talking about my life. This extends beyond to like, at least in my life. Okay, so maybe like I'm on a first date with someone and they know, you know, because mm-hmm. I make sure they know ahead of time what it is. And, like I answer questions on the first date and they're still interested. They've Googled you. They've Googled me. They've seen <laughs> you know, that you wrote a book on the subject. They're still into it. But then when it gets down to brass tacks, for instance, like they send me a message a week later, like, what are you up to? And like, I happen to be like heading to the movies with Jace, for instance. Mm. That in that moment of being like, do I say, oh, I'm about to head to a movie with Jace, or do I just say, oh, I'm about to head to a movie? Mm. Be- and like, right. I still sometimes have that deep instinct of like, like, let's not risk it because huh. of having bad experiences in the past. Like, let's just say we're heading to a movie and just kind of try to like soften it, like cushion them a little bit, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, we've talked about it before is like sugar coating. The sugar coating yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And we're, we're, I mean, obviously it's like they know about me having other partners. They know about Jace and Alex and whatever, but like there's still that instinct to be like, ooh, do I need to cushion them from this? And I find for myself, I have to like just really psych myself up when I'm writing that text message and just be like, no, like I'm just going to tell them actually what's happening. And mm-hmm. again, if this person cannot handle me going to the movies with Jace, like I would rather they can't ha- handle me they, at all. They can't handle me at all. I'd yeah. rather deal with that little bit of pain now than much, mm-hmm. much later. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a relationship a while. I guess it was a couple of years ago now. Uh, but where, you know, she was new to polyamory and was kind of saying, "Okay, I'm, I'm interested. Let's try this. See how it goes." And and the relationship ended up not working out. And a mutual friend of ours later, and she and I were talking about it, and the friend you know, her, her take on it was you should have treated her with more kid gloves. You should have Mm -hmm. sugarcoated this more and protected her her from it it more. more. And what I responded to, I was like, I actually think I should have done the opposite Mm. because I think the mistake I made in that case was trying to shield her from it too much at first so that she didn't get an accurate impression of what a relationship with me would actually look like. Mm-hmm. And then as time went some, on... a little bit of specifics about that? Well, just about specifically in, in this instance, it was the fact that I would also go on dates with new people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right? a big one. Uh, that yeah. I didn't do that at first 
because it's like, well, I, you know, I, I want her to kind of feel comfortable first before I actually would go on a date with anyone new um, or, or express interest in anyone else that's new. Um, that's one I've really struggled with of being more upfront about that earlier in a relationship if it's mm-hmm. someone who's new to polyamory. Even if it's someone who's not, because I have that that internalized poly guilt about, oh, if I'm attracted to someone else or if I admit that, that must mean I don't like the person I'm dating. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that that was kind of an example there is that then as that did come up, she had a, a hard time with the idea of like, well, why are you going on a date with someone new? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that or in my case, also just um, the amount of time that I realistically had to spend with her mm-hmm. and to, to go out with her and to do stuff together that I think early in the relationship, and I understand this, like it's, you're excited about a new relationship. You're going to want to spend a lot of time with them. Uh, but I think that also I gave a little bit of a false impression of how much time I had mm. available for her. And that then as, again, this was sort of as time went by, especially with me uh, traveling part of the year too, that, then that kind of became real and she was hurt by that and felt sort of um neglected yeah felt felt neglected or felt like this wasn't the relationship that she thought she had signed up for essentially Mm -hmm. and so in talking with her friend later who was like you should have protected her from this more essentially and i said no i actually think i should have done the opposite because i think i gave her the wrong impression about what this relationship would be like And because that is who I am and that's not going to change. Yeah. And if she had known that more up front, she could have dealt been with it better. More, well, she could have been more enabled to make that choice or deal with it or whatever, right? right? That she could have made a more informed choice. And when I said that, the the mutual friend was like, oh, wow. Like, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think you're right. Yeah. So, sorry, that was a sad memory to think about. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> but it's okay. You learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You learned. I hope Definitely. so. I hope other people can learn so they don't have to do the same thing. Uh-huh. Uh, and I guess this is related to our next one here, which is um, to figure out for yourself how to talk about non-monogamy when it's not going well. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um, or when it's brand new for you and you're still like, I, I don't know if I'm gonna be happy with this but it's something i really want to try yeah because it's very normal for people to just be like well all your relationship problems are happening because you're non-monogamous right Mm -hmm. right or if or if you're brand new i mean i definitely got this like when the first time i talked to someone about opening up a relationship for the first time um and i think it was again it was like opened up the relationship and had barely even done anything you know to actually experience it and i had like people being like ah it's not gonna last Mm -hmm. right away you know and it's and it's a hard position because it's very different from where i am now where i have all this body of evidence of things working out for me and back then like i didn't i was like i i really didn't know if it was gonna last or not Mm -hmm. yeah and so how do you be like unapologetic for yourself in those instances well, em- Emily's talked about this a little bit about sort of having conviction when mm-hmm. you start out. Yes, my mother's favorite phrase. <laughs> and how to do that even if you're not sure yet. Yeah, and I think it's it's a, just understanding and letting people know like this is something that's making me happy because I my my best friend like she was getting married around the time that Jason and I were coming out as polyamorous and she was just aghast and so upset. I've talked about this and previous episodes um really really angry and and very much telling me like 
this is not who I thought you were. That I know that this is not what you want. I know you, and I know that like this is wrong for you. Mm-hmm. And in spite of all of that, like I had to really just say like you know this is something that I'm trying. It does make me really happy, and so I am going to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. And for that to be okay, right. and you know we we sort of like did not contact each other for as much for a number of years until finally, after many, many years, she was like, okay, like I'm learning to just deal with it Mm. because I have to, because this is clearly a part of you now. Right. So I think that if you're in a situation where maybe like maybe you're trying this for the first time and you're not happy with it Mm -hmm. yet, like it's just kind of unknown or scary or uncomfortable that I think coming back to at least taking ownership and not being unapologetic for your choices is, can be an important thing yeah. of like, you know, expressing to people like, this is something that I've chosen to try right now. Like mm-hmm. this is something I've chosen to explore right now to see if it's right for me. Maybe it will be right for me. Maybe it won't be, but I have mm-hmm. chosen to try this yeah. and so I will deal, deal with, with it. <laughs> well, I will deal with whatever, whatever happens. Because yeah. I think that's right. the thing is I think as, and we've talked about this, especially if you're a woman in a relationship with a, Man, a lot of people are going to assume, oh, They're you were coerced. Yeah, you yeah, were coerced, coerced into yeah. this. Like, you're just trying to do this to make this person happy. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think it is really important to, even if you don't know how it's going to turn out, you don't know if this is right for you, that you do emphasize, like, I, I did choose to try this. Yeah. It's no one, no one is making me do anything. Right. Like, I have my own agency right. in this. Yeah. And I think ultimately, if you are happy, like, if it's brand new to you, or if you've been doing this for many, many years, and it is something that is fulfilling to you, even during the moments that it's challenging, you don't have to let people gaslight you into thinking that you're not happy. Totally. You know, no one can say to you, if you truly are happy and fulfilled, no one can say to you, no, 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 you're not yeah. happy and fulfilled. I know you're not. They can try, but... They can try to say that, but you're the correct. person who knows. Yes. Exactly. Totally. Yeah, I think also coming back to just the idea that this is something that aligns with my beliefs, mm-hmm. kind of, again, that taking ownership of your choices and your decision to conduct relationships this way, to say that this is something that feels right to me or it aligns with my beliefs or is something that I think could make me really happy and could be the right relationship format for me. Yeah. Maybe I'm new to it. Maybe it's difficult right now because it is difficult to transition to it, at least for most people. Yeah. At the Um, beginning, for sure. And to, to give that like in when you're talking to these people to remember that for yourself, for one, that you're doing this because you believe in it, not just because it's going to fix all your problems right away. Mm -hmm. Because if you expect it to do that, you're going to be disappointed. Yes. Um, But then the other thing I wanted to mention is just to keep in mind for yourself, the idea that if, if we would only do monogamy, if we were always happy doing it, no one would do monogamy, (laughs) right? Like, right, there's no magic bullet relationship solution that will make you always be happy and never have disappointment and never have anything go wrong and never have a miscommunication. That's absurd. Mm -hmm. And I think people understand that about monogamy. So that, at least I find, is a useful touchstone for remembering, like, yes, okay, we're always working to be better at relationships, but just because this is hard right now doesn't mean that the whole way of doing it is necessarily wrong. Yeah. I just wanted to make one last point before we move on while Mm -hmm. we're here still talking about looking inward and and kind of your internal life. I, I think it's... 
honestly, even after multiple, multiple years of doing this, like rejection still sucks. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a little bit better at, at fielding it, but mm-hmm. it still sucks, especially if there's someone that like you're really interested in and you're hoping that they'll be okay with the whole non-traditional thing. And ultimately they're not like it still hurts. And so I think that's why it's important to, even before you get rejected, know how to take care of yourself during those times, know how to reconnect to loving yourself, know how to reconnect to reminding yourself that like you are loved, especially if you do have multiple partners, like you are loved regardless of this, if you know, whether or not this particular Yahoo rejects you or not, (laughs) you know, you do still have love. And that's actually, that's a great advantage of being in a multi-partner relationship is that if someone rejects you, that's not the end of the story. That's not your last chance for being loved. Absolutely. Um, You know, you're in this context. And so I think just always being mindful of that, of, of, you know, if it takes you needing to give yourself a bunch of positive self-love mantras every day, as silly as that may feel, but Mm -hmm. if it's effective, then do that to, you know, to, I guess, just to make sure that at the end of the day, you can still be true to yourself and love yourself rather than compromise what you want for the favor of, you know, for the sake of making sure someone doesn't reject you. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping, code M-U-L-T-I. So we've talked about looking within yourself and kind of helping yourself out to be unapologetic. What's the next step of that? So the next step of that is your close inner circle relationships is what we're calling it. So this is could be your current partners, it could be your friends, your family, uh, and that some of them may feel like they need some special treatment or some adjustment time to get used to you coming out or to accept that idea. And we do want to have a little caveat here that family dynamics are a very complex thing. And there can be a, a whole episode about this. In fact, there was a whole episode about this, mm-hmm. although maybe we'll redo on we about redo that it, at some yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're only going to touch briefly on like the real intricacies of family, but this, um, But some of these things I feel like apply to all of those, any kind of close relationship that you have. Um, So the first one we wanted to talk about is it goes along with the idea of having that poly guilt 
right? Where you feel guilty about the fact that you're getting to do this or that you want to do this. And that's that within your existing relationships, this feeling of, I want to do this. And anytime I do it, I need to prepare myself to do damage control after mm-hmm. I've gone on a date with someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, meaning damage control in my existing relationship. Yeah. Right. Assuming that you're in a relationship that you've opened up. Meaning that's that you common. like come home and you sort of have to like make the other person feel a certain way or do damage control with them. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like the idea that after going on a date with someone else, you either have to, and you know, you might not live with them, but sure. you might not live with your current partner. But I having, think I was just thinking about what you and I used to yeah, do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Is coming home, coming home. See, I did it too. Yeah. Uh, is <laughs> coming back to your partner and having to either downplay that the date went well kind of being like well i don't know they were they were okay but they didn't do this thing as well as you or trying to like yeah do a lot of that or just having the just this kind of sheepish attitude about it like oh you know what it went well and then like oh and oh i love you so much like let's let's uh, go do a fun thing or i I feeling like i need to fix something because i've damaged it by going on this other date and there's nothing wrong with like reconnecting with your partner after you go on a date that's really lovely but there's a Mm -hmm. difference between doing that and then damage control or sugarcoating it again but it makes so much sense just again because of the messages that we receive like i've had partners relatively recent partners who will like go on a date and feel really hesitant to tell me about that date. Mm -hmm. Not because I've ever had a bad reaction because I'm like, come on, like I wrote a book on this. (laughs) Um, But I think just because of social conditioning, you know, Mm -hmm. of just like just making this assumption that like talking to a partner about a first date is not going to be a good conversation or talking to a partner about your attraction to someone else is not going to be a good conversation. Um, And there's actually more tension generated because my partner came into that conversation, I guess somehow assuming I was going to have a bad reaction rather than if he just kind of come to me just with the bare facts and we just talked about it. Yeah. This, this is a a big one and we've talked about this before on the show, but I do feel like it's worth bringing up is, Mm -hmm. um, something called the Pygmalion effect is what it's called in, in psychology. And essentially it's Henry Higgins, the Henry Higgins effect, the Henry Higgins effect. Henry Higgins. The, no, the, the, that is horrible. Yes. The the Pygmalion effect describes this effect that if you, uh, expect someone to either behave badly or positively like this was the study was done with uh, school children Mm. that if a teacher expects certain students to do well this year and other ones to do bad those students are actually more likely to fulfill those prophecies uh then because of the way the teacher kind of subconsciously treats them or speaks to them or yeah there's not a clear explanation of why this happens Mm. but it does happen um however uh something really interesting about it is that if the student in this case, or if the person sort of having the expectations put on them is aware that those expectations have been placed on them, it negates the effect. Hmm. It actually Hmm. cancels that out because they're aware and can take steps to act against it to sort of prove them wrong. But if they're not aware, we kind of, to a certain extent, must be going along with people's assumptions of us or in those subtle sort of body language or the wording choices we have. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, but exactly. through someone else's lens. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, and this was found on the, the 
on the positive side too, that if you expect more positive things from these students, that they would also perform better. Hmm. Um, and these were assigned at random. This wasn't, they expected them to perform positively because they had done well. It was totally random. Huh. And this has been shown in, in other cases as well with things like job interviews or you know little tests that they'll do in psychological studies. And I think this really comes into play in your relationships. Because if I come in expecting you to be upset about the fact that I had a good date, the way I approach it and yeah. the way I talk about it is going to make you feel, even if you didn't before, like, mm, more likely like to. I'm, maybe there I'm is something I should... Pick it up on some kind yeah. of vibe. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Huh. And, and I think that can result in something we see a lot of someone kind of being like, no, I'm happy for you, but I feel like you're leaving something out or you're being dodgy mm, or whatever. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again, I think is part of our like conditioning to think that if someone's seeing someone else, there must be something sketchy going on or yeah. it must right. be threatening somehow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So related to this is this idea that like, let's say you have existing partners, you start dating someone new and maybe that new person is totally okay with your existing partners. Um, Maybe this new person even already identifies as polyamorous or whatever. And it's a really common phenomenon that this new partner will be okay with your existing partners. But then once you date someone new after them, then they're, they're really, not the new shiny thing anymore. Yeah, they're really not okay. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very common. Like I've experienced yep. it personally, you know, being the person who's dating someone new and the new person, mm -hmm. you know, that that's really, really common. And so... I think that's why it's especially important, especially if you're dating someone who's relatively new to non-traditional relationships that, uh, you know, like Jace was saying, to, to not be apologetic about just the way that you expect to live your life and mm -hmm. to live your relationships. And while maybe that doesn't mean that the week after you start dating them, you immediately try to date someone else to kind of artificially set up some kind of expectation, mm -hmm. but to at least have some very real conversations about the fact that this you, is going to happen eventually. This is going to happen. Like eventually, maybe not next week or maybe not even next year or, or I don't know that I am probably going to date someone else. Mm -hmm. if, if, if that's true for you, maybe that's not true for you. But if that is true for you, that you anticipate that you're going to want to continue to be free to like explore and go on first dates or explore new connections or maybe go to a play party and play with new people or whatever it is to at least be as real and honest about that as possible, even if you're not acting about it right at this particular moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, that's especially come up with sexual things like your example of a play party mm. that, that that's something I carry a lot of guilt about the idea that, that that for me, I have a lot of internalized guilt about being told, like, as a man, the fact that you must want sex all the time because you're a man is what makes you bad and what makes you a bad person. Uh, and so to me, like, I've really internalized that 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 it's sort of shameful for me to yeah. ever admit anything about casual sex or that I would want that or right. that I would do it. So so that's a good example that for some people might also be true, whether you're male or female, like we all get that kind of sex negative programming. Right. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely, you know, years ago, I made a what I learned now is, was a big mistake in the way that I talked about how I ran my life that I talked to a partner about how, you know, I don't seek out a ton of casual sex, I tend to just mm. go for like building relationships. And the thing is, that, like, that's true about me, like, I don't tend to seek out a ton of casual sex. But it doesn't mean that I never have casual sex. And yeah, that was you the big, did. That was the big yeah. problem is that then a couple years later, when I did have some casual sex, it was a huge fucking problem, because mm -hmm. this person perceived, 
I, like built this expectation that that means my partner's never going to go hook up with someone and that's okay right. with me, you know, and anything else is not. It's so interesting because you're never quite aware of what is going to potentially set someone off. Right. Sometimes because it's that, really surprising. Yeah, totally. And it's like, really? You give a shit about that? Yeah, but- and, I, and I think I also made the assumption of like, in my personal history the times that partners have been the most upset is when a relationship gets more serious. Exactly. And so I thought for sure, like, well, no one's going to get upset about casual sex, you know, because mm. most people are like, oh, as long as it's casual, it's fine. But mm-hmm. then it was totally flipped in this situation. Yeah. And now, you know, now I've learned that like, I always have that conversation with people that like, no, I don't tend to have a lot of casual sex, but sometimes I do. Yeah. You and know? that needs to be okay. And that needs to be okay. Totally. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about our internal work. We've talked about the work that we're doing with um, our close family and friends and partners. And now we want to talk about how we go to the rest of the world. Exactly. Zooming out each level. So the first section of this is talking to the people that you want to date or that you may meet and that you're like, oh, I'm interested in this person. Someone who's not a partner. Yeah. Exactly. So when you're flirting... It's really important to let people know that you're polyamorous or even before you start flirting with yes, them. Before. Just like that's important. Bring it up casually. And and don't worry that you're just going to like scare someone away when polyamory is talked about immediately. Yeah, I think that that people are afraid to bring it up for a number of reasons and I think part of it's just that rejection thing mm-hmm. or they'll do the like, well, I'll go on a couple dates with them first and then I'll bring it up so they'll like me like we talked about um, that. We had, we, yeah. we had a partner that did that. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it it sets up your whole relationship based on dishonesty. Totally. Right. It's a lie. Yeah. But yeah. The because, and you might say, well, oh, I never said I was monogamous. But like, no, come on, don't be a dick. Right? Like, yeah. we, we know that everyone assumes that if you don't say otherwise. Mm-hmm. So you are lying. Like, don't try to tell me that you're not. Right? Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's also important. To, and again, it can be tricky because sometimes you can start flirting with someone or you don't even realize that you are until you're in the middle of it. But I think just the important thing to bear in mind is... Before you know, the first date, definitely bring Just it up. definitely before the first date, bring it up. Bring mm-hmm. up the fact that you're in a non-traditional relationship or that or that you have non-traditional values or that you want a particular format of relationship is what you're looking for in dating or in dating this person. Mm-hmm. Um, don't use it as a way to start flirting with someone because yeah. I think that's more likely going to get people scared and running away from you <laughs> if you're using your polyamorous identity as like the pickup line to start talking with someone. It's probably not going to go well unless mm-hmm. they happen to also be polyamorous. They're like, that's great. Me too. Let's talk. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's true. Right. <laughs> yeah. So also if you do get rejected, yeah. what so should you do? Basically, I think the, the key here is to reframe it for yourself mm-hmm. so that if you mention that you're polyamorous and someone very clearly is like, mm, I'm not, that's not something I'm interested in or, you know, for whatever reason, is rather than thinking of it as a rejection of you, because it's not. I mean, maybe they were flirting with you before that. Maybe they were interested in you. But if that's something they're not into, then that's good that they know that about themselves and that they're making decisions for themselves about what types of relationships they want in the same way that you're doing saying, I want to have polyamorous relationships. They might have a belief that I only want to have monogamous relationships yeah. or I'm only looking for someone that's going to lead toward marriage and kids. Maybe that, that is their choice. And I think turning it around to be like, cool. Like, thank you for knowing what you want. 
and for for taking care of yourself mm-hmm. and for standing up for what it is that that you want to have in your life. Right. Because neither of us would be happy if you didn't. Totally. Right, right. Now, if this person has questions for you, maybe part of their decision-making mm-hmm. process is asking you a bunch of questions of like, how does that work? How do you do it? How would I fit into that? Mm-hmm. Um, what if this happens? What if that happens? Which we've all dealt mm-hmm. with before. Absolutely. It's okay to have that conversation. But if someone says to you, you know, like, I don't think this is something that I'm interested in, you don't have to try to convince them. No. And sitting there and trying yes. to argue with them is probably mm. not going to get you a date either. Well, definitely not. Or if yeah. it does, it's not going to be a date that leads to a good relationship. Right, yeah. right. Like, but, but yeah, I think that's good of like framing it, even if it's just internally, of framing it as like this person's taking care of themselves and that's a good thing. Yeah. And I did want to point out too that just because maybe you are having good flirty vibes, you bring this up and you feel them withdraw a little bit or get a little weird about it. Mm. If you're not pushing them and you're not trying to convince them, you may find that later at that event, they'll warm back up because they needed some time to just process that and let it sink in. Or maybe they've had a bad experience with someone using it as sort of a predatory pickup liney thing. And when you don't do that, they might come around later to be like, huh, you seem very different from other people I've met who have done this or the bad impressions I've gotten. Can we talk more about it? I found that happens a lot, actually, when you don't try to convince anyone. Right. Yeah, Yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, I think another por- important part of this, is particularly when you're, you know, looking for someone to date, is again, just to be consistent, you know. Mm-hmm. Start the process of being open and honest and unapologetic with them as early as you can in the process. Yeah. And again, sometimes like maybe you meet someone at a party and you just have a great conversation and then it's not until the end of the night that you realize like, oh, we were totally vibing. This person's interested. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean all is lost because you haven't brought it up yet, but bring it up as soon as you can. You know, the more that you draw it out, the more difficult that conversation is going to be. And trust me, like I've had clients who have dragged out this conversation for like six months. Holy shit. (laughs) Um, God. Yeah. And by the time you've postponed it for six months, it doesn't go well. Oh, I bet. Just so you know. And also I live with someone. Oh, that too. Yeah. Especially if you're like living with someone or if you have Mm. like existing relationships, like the longer you push, put off that conversation, the worse it's going to be for you. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is also something I found, just to go back to bring it up early, is like, if I even remotely start to think, oh, this person might be flirting with me, or I might want to flirt with them, I will I will try to find a way to bring up polyamory in the conversation. And it helps that I'm out, so all my friends know, so it's an easy thing it's to just bring up. It's also a little bit up. easier having a podcast yeah, and like a book. And but if you have a I podcast like you listen knows. to. Totally. Right. I think we have enough episodes that pretty much anything in any conversation, you could be like, oh, that reminds me of this thing I heard on the Multiamory podcast. And you know what? It also, you don't even have to be clever about it. Mm-mm. Like you can just, you can be straight up with this person of like, you know what? I find you attractive. I'm interested in you or I would love to go on a date with you. And because of that, it's really important for me that you know X, Y, and Z about me or like that you know that I'm interested in non-monogamy or that I identify as polyamorous. Um, So you can't even like couch it within something that is positive, that is expressing to this person, hey, like I find you really attractive and interesting and I want to get to know you more. Honesty um, is a must. Right. And all of that mm-hmm. is really great. And, yeah. Honesty. And again, it doesn't have to even be clever about like, you know, trying to find some way to weasel it into the conversation. You can't just be straight up. <laughs> yeah. Weasel. Um, so let's talk about being unapologetic when talking just to everyone else in the world, essentially. This could be a coworker, a stranger, your 
Uber driver, um, you're, you know, the random stranger who, who, I don't know, you somehow get into a conversation in line at the grocery store about, um, again, obviously not every conversation needs to be about this, but sometimes this comes up, you know. It definitely does for me a lot, but I want to stress that like we as a community are not more enlightened than anyone else. We're not like, we don't like understand relationships in a way that other people do just simply because we're doing them in this fashion. And I think a lot of people do think and put it out there that like they're somehow better than someone else just simply because they're polyamorous and they live their lives in this way. Perhaps, you know, we know how well it works for us. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, like, we're doing anything better than anyone else. And that's a real turnoff of, if you say, like, well, I'm more enlightened because I do this. So if someone's going to be like, right. wow, you're a dick. Yeah, regardless <laughs> yeah. of what their opinion is, like, it's probably just not going to come off very well if that's the stance that you take. Absolutely. Um, and also, there's this fear out there of the polyamorous possibility. I think just because, and again, when, when Jason and I came out, I thought about this in regards to my best friend, because I think that a part of her was like, I get this idea of maybe being attracted to more than one person or being potentially in love with more than one person, but still feeling like I have to choose. And if you know that polyamory is out there and that there's this possibility of more than just one option, that's a potentially fearful place to, to get well, into. I mean, it's exciting for some people, but yes, it's very it is. fearful for, for other others. People. Yes. Yeah. And to be understanding of that and know like, okay, they're not just like shitting all over what I'm doing, but there is potential fear involved here. Right. So just being mindful of that, that yes. like, I think people are going to be much more likely to interpret, oh, this person's trying to like convert me or proselytize or tell me that like, this is what I should be doing. Um, or they're trying to like threaten my relationship that just for some pe- reason, people are just much more likely to go to that place. So mm-hmm. just bear that in mind ahead of time when heading into these conversations. I think going along with the idea of not trying to convince people right away or not feeling the need to convince people is this idea that if in order for someone to agree with you or at the very least stop arguing with you, they have to admit that they're wrong. And in this case, possibly that means admitting that what they've been doing their entire life is wrong. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Right. Right. That's not going to happen. It's definitely not going to happen when they're being confronted with you about this. So just that's not the way to, I want to say it's not the way to win these arguments or these conversations, but like don't go in with that goal at all. Right. Right. That's not the You're point You're not here of to this. convert anyone. Exactly. People, if if this resonates with them, they will come to it on their own. They're not going to come to it because you've like outlogicked them in this (laughs) conversation. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the other part of that is just pick your battles. And that's that you don't even need to, if someone is being somewhat aggressive with you or like very against this because you know even if it's just come up in conversation and you're not trying to convince them you just feel like you're defending yourself that to understand you don't have to fight every single fight and that sometimes you can just say you know i i see that this is upsetting to you this is something that's right for me i hope you can respect that and let's not talk about this now be the bigger person right yeah do not let it just it takes so much emotional labor as it is to have these conversations a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Um, yeah. I've definitely found in my own life, obviously, like, my work is having these conversations. And so that means in my personal life, like, I really try to pick and choose 
who am I going to actually have a conversation about this with? Like, who am I going to get into the nitty gritty of this with? And it's not everybody. It's actually a lot fewer people than I think it was Mm. five or 10 years ago. Um, Mm. That I like to think I've gotten a lot better at just being able to say like, yeah, this is what I do and this is my life. Um, and if you want to know more about it, you can listen to the podcast. <laughs> I so appreciate it. Um, but, but I don't want to talk about it right now. No, exactly. I just, I so appreciate it at work. Like if somebody is struggling with uh, a relationship thing, how many other people go up to them and they're like, you should talk to Emily about that. <laughs> she she knows all about up. this. And I was like, ah. but, but it's kind of nice. I mean, when you get to a point where you are so out that people are like, they have knowledge and they, you know, think about relationships in a different way that might be interesting. I think to sometimes you. it's not, I think it's nicer for us because the fact that we're in this position, but I think yes, we're very like, privileged for in that way. other people though you don't always want to be the guru that sure. everyone gets like sends their friends to. No, you can pick and choose and you say know. like, actually I'm not really interested in talking to you about that. <laughs> and luckily for all of you, you have this podcast to refer people to. Exactly. Instead. Just send them to Just us. Send them to we'll us. take care of it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So on this subject of coming out to people and we do want to reiterate this might not be the right choice for everyone right now, depending on whether that's safe for you to come out to people, you know, aside from the ones that you're actively in relationships right now, like definitely be honest with those people. Uh, but in terms of everyone else, um, it can be, can be difficult. And you had some tips about that. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, again, we could do an entire episode just on the coming out conversation or figuring out who to come out to. Um, but in the interest of time, I recommend people, go to um, uh, the therapist Dara Hoffman Fox's website. Um, we had them on the show a long time ago. Mm-hmm. We're going to have them back on the mm-hmm. show pretty yeah, soon. Really um, I included their worksheet that they created for coming out in my book as well. Um, but they made this amazing, amazing like step-by-step formulaic process of figuring out who is the best person in your life to come out to. Mm. And it's, it's, it's very mathematical actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, assigning numerical values to like the importance of this particular relationship versus how much time you want to invest in having this coming out conversation versus how safe you feel with this person versus how you would feel if this relationship evaporated or if there was a huge negative consequence, if you came out to this person. Um, and it's great. I recommend it to a lot of people because I think that, even if you can find one person in your life to come out to, like who's not a partner, like a best friend or a sibling or a parent, if that feels safe, even just one person, it's a really good opportunity for you to practice being unapologetic. Mm. And I'm telling you, even just one person can help make that pressure of constantly having to be closed or having to hide it can relieve a lot of that pressure too, even if you have just one person. So I'd highly recommend it. You can Google Dara Hoffman Fox coming out worksheet, or we're going to include a link to it directly in the show notes. Yay. Yay. Unapologetic. The stupid term you came up with (laughs) months ago, but now I do kind of love it. Now now. it's like a thing. So hopefully you all out there can can do it in some way in your life, even if it's a small way, even if it's just coming out to one person. Yeah. Um, even if it's not just your relationship, totally. it's your gender identity or yes. the hobby that you really love or your guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, you know, find the ways that you can be unapologetic to the world. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
If you would like to have your question or your comment played on the show, you can call 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. And you can leave us a voicemail there. You can also send us an audio message at the Multiamory Facebook page. You can email us at info at multiamory.com, or of course, you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show and to join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Almond from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.